1: With Michael and Maurice, take it away, Michael.
2: All right, folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number twenty-nine today. Uh, we're going to be talking about Rudolf Steiner' early career and evolution, and we have special guest. Uh, he's a little bit of a Rudolf Steiner aficionado. We've got uh, Andrew Tischler here with us today.
0: What's going on, everybody? Hello, yo, yo,
2: hello. All right. Um, so basically how we kind of got in contact is you had seen one of our videos on YouTube and reached out to me and I thought your message was amazing. Um, so much information in there that we didn't even cover. Um, so I said, let's get you on here. So here you are. Um, you were particularly, um, you know, talk interested in talking about, you know, you said you knew a lot about his early life and career and how that influenced his later work. What, uh, what was the most important genesis of his early life? Do you think?
0: Well, you know, one of the most interesting things about reading his autobiography is he's, uh, saying quite early on that he's having spiritual experiences. So, you, you know, you're asking yourself, well, what does he, what does this mean? Right. Um, I, I've always been fascinated by the idea of having a spiritual experience and what that entails. And, uh, so a lot of this research is trying to figure out what he's what what does it mean. So you can read the autobiography. And he doesn't say a lot about it. He doesn't describe it as much. It's just saying that it happens. Um, so, you know, uh, I think that early experience obviously, you know, it it, it created within him a need to explain it. Sure. Um, so that so the early spiritual experiences and then the need for explanation. Um, so something I find really you know brilliant about Steiner is that the very first full book that he wrote was about epistemology. Um, so if you ask the question, what's, what's the most important philosophical question that humanity is facing? And I think this is a good little thing to just do a little... Uh, Why don't you team? explain
2: yeah. epistemology? Because there's a lot of people, I'm sure, that would be like, what's that?
0: Absolutely. That's a good idea. It's, it's, it's simply a theory of knowledge. So it's the question you know, what can thinking do for us? What, what, you know, what can we, what's the extent of our knowledge? Can we know anything? And what does it mean to know something? So it's about, it's about thinking and about cognition and about the, you know, limits of knowledge. Um, so the, the reason that that's important, right, is that in order to do science or answer literally any question, you have to know what your thinking is capable of. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, what are the boundaries of our, you know, expanding mind, basically?
0: Right. And so, you know, he talks a whole lot about Kant and this idea of the thing in itself, which is a philosophical term for the world outside of, you know, the human being, the, the world before we see it and hear it and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Is that K-A-N-T? <laughs> K-A-N-T, Yep. Yeah.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah, so, I, I, I always question, can he, the human brain actually... Uh you know actually understand god or are
0: we you know exactly exactly so there's that and that that intri- that question was was you know according to steiner and it was introduced before kant but kant was one that really picked it up and and actually you know wrote his whole book is called the critique of pure reason and so he's saying that there, there he's critical of our reasoning abilities um kant is um so steiner i think his, his issue was that he's having these experiences that other people aren't having. And then the philosophers that are eminent in in his time as in ours are saying that, you know, that they don't exist and that we can't know reality in these things. Um, so his first book is about all of these problems and it's, it's fascinating how he tackles the whole thing.
2: Um, Do you you think though, like, okay, so he was just saying, we probably can't fathom, I mean, God right now, but do you think, <clears throat> excuse me, do you think that it's more about being open to the idea as opposed to, because look, m- most mainstream scientists and that kind of stuff, they're going to poo poo. I mean, I'm on Reddit all the time and I see people just, you're an idiot if you believe in God, or you're dumb if you. Right. Um, even well, that, that,
1: that, that's, that. that's a science religion. You're either that, if you're science,
2: or science. Yeah, it's a religion of reality. We've talked about that before. They're literally basing everything on what we can see, even though everything, our signal gets sent backwards and upside down into our brain from our visuals. So it's right. kind of an interesting. So-
0: it's materialism, so right? They're, they're, that's, that's really the dividing line that they have. So, they're material monists, so they believe that the only thing in the universe is material things, particles, basically. Um, and so Steiner actually has things to say about that in his early work, which I was super excited to discover. That he's talking about the philosophy of physics, the you know, and the philosophy of science, as well as theories of knowledge and, and actual dry philosophy. He's got a lot to say about the material world as well. Um, so it's a really important divide, um, but for Steiner, so this is, this is my whole hang-up, right, is I've been reading Steiner for six, seven, eight years now. No one, it, it seems as if his career went unnoticed by academia. Not that it wasn't noticed, but they just didn't regard it, right? When he, so at the age of, he was attempting to become an academic philosopher until about the age of 40 when he took this turn. So up until then he had done, he had not mentioned anything about his spiritual experiences to almost anyone. And he wanted to establish himself in Germany as like the heir to Nietzsche. People were saying he was the eminent philosopher of Germany. He was writing these books. Um, so he wanted to do that. Uh, well, what was my point? Um, and, and his career um, was, so, yeah. so, so just the question is, did he achieve it? How far did he, you know, what did he achieve in his writings? And my hangup is that philosophy, the philosophers seem to have not looked into it. And that's what I'd like to do, at least with my time here, is to look, how far did he go with his theory of knowledge? Did it it make some kind of bridge that we have yet to make yet in philosophy? And this is actually exactly what he says. He's got one of his early books. He makes this quote about how, you know, it's pretty miraculous. You know, 300 years ago, we turned to religion to answer the questions about our lives, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Right. Within those last couple hundred years now, the scientific method and, you know, the whole enlightenment period has literally invaded our cultural way of being to the point that we now turn to science for those questions. Mm -hmm. So you and I and people that we consider reasonable for the most part, you know, if you get sick, you're going to not turn to the church. You're going to turn to science, right? So this is what Steiner mentioned is that the scientific method has gone so far into our culture, not just into our scientific work, but into our culture. But one particular branch of science has yet to make that, you know, journey into our culture and that branch is actually philosophy itself not any of the natural sciences but philosophy so he says we never had a classical period in philosophy in the way that we needed to have or perhaps that we could have or should have had and that was what he tried to usher in so his books are actually attempting to 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 you know Give us, he actually says, like, we have philosophers that are asking questions that no one is asking and providing answers that no one is looking for, and we have questions that everyone is asking that philosophers are not asking and not providing answers for. Right. But so he tried to really humanize the philosophy side of it, whereas Kant, he talks about, he, you know, Kant encloses the human being within itself, and it does allow it to get into reality. So we can't know reality, according to Kant. So for me, Steiner appears to have solved all, you know, so many of the philosophical issues in a, in a more positive sense, rather than like a Wittgenstein or a Kant or these postmodernists that say we can't know anything, I, my supposition is that Steiner actually shows a theory of knowledge that's plausible. So, so the whole idea of being skeptical about reality actually goes right out the window with Steiner in his early works. You, the human being is meant to know reality.
2: Why, why do you think we've come to this realm? Like if you look at like, you know, Plato, Socrates, even Aristotle, some of these people were speculating on crazy things that actually had bearing it still has bearing in our modern world. Um, what do you think? Why do you think we've strayed away from that? And it's almost become like, you know, the reason why we're doing this podcast is I see society becoming kind of like, you know, that movie Idiocracy with uh, yep. Yep. Luke Wilson. Right. It's just people are concerned with, you know, how big Kim Kardashian's ass is at that day or, you know, oh, the news or Trump right. did this or whatever, you know, right. as opposed to just living their micro life, you know.
1: Well, I was I was going to add, too, back in the day, science, religion and art were all combined into one thing and, now, and it's yeah. all been separated over the years. Absolutely.
0: Like- Absolutely. I agree with that completely. And Steiner actually stitches them back together. And he, he even talks about the role of artists and he talks about the humanities in his early works. So, so they all come together. Psychology falls right out of it. Um, but so to answer uh, Mike's question, um, Steiner has this theory of evolution, right? Um, but it's about a, a evolution of consciousness in the human being that is a is layer of that. And he, you know, so there's this huge, long arc to history, according to Steiner. And it, it just so happens to be, well, so for him, Christ is the sort of crux of that. And I, I, I'm a born and bred atheist. I actually was not raised in any religion. I, I started my intellectual career, you know, 16, 17 skepticism, right? Sure. So I'm, I'm a skeptical, atheistic kind of dude. I'm not a religious guy. But what I found in the last couple of years is that all of these mystics are Christians. And it was really like, you know, baffling a bit. And then it's like, okay, well, you know, you have to confront this. So so Steiner is a very Christian person. And, and I actually, just to make a quick note about it, I, I, for Steiner, Christ is as much a philosophical fact, you know, it's a piece of the philosophical puzzle and a piece right. of the natural world as it is a theological or but anyway, but to get past that, sure. he historically, that's the crux. And so we are actually in the most mature, you know. So for him, the Greeks had a slightly different consciousness than we had. So they experienced the world in a slightly different way, and and so then he actually goes back into other epochs and says that, you know, for the Egyptians, the spiritual world was actually more prevalent, and the, the that, yeah. world was about, it was more in the background. Whatever that exactly means, you could do a lot of talk about that, which is yet to be talked about by science and academia. But for us, the physical world is what's. In the forefront, and it, for him, it's not a problem. In fact, it has to be that way. But there's going to be certain outcroppings. There's going to be, you know, uh, results of that being the case, and that, that's what we're seeing is that it, it was necessary that we are we're in the lowest point. You know, we've dipped so far into the physical reality and materialism that that's all we can see. Yet there's of course still people out there that can see past it. People like Steiner, um, but I think that's just a it's a symptom of of where we are in the whole crux for Steiner. Um, However, Christ being the crux means we've passed that center point and we're now going back up into the spiritual, right? You know, so consciousness is gaining more knowledge of the spiritual and and that's for Steiner. His whole message was now we're going to make this transition to reunite everything again.
2: Well, that's actually interesting. You say that too, because, um, there's some different documentaries. There's a pyramid code on Netflix and different things, but it talks about, you know, like the golden age, like kind of what we were just talking about and, we go into these dark times, like the dark ages where things aren't recorded, knowledge isn't retained. And now we're kind of supposedly we're supposed to be coming back out of that. So it's interesting you say that because if you look at like the end of the Mayan calendar, it's an age of a new man, Um, you know, all these different, you know, civilizations across time saying the same thing that there's this procession, which is a full cosmic year, 25,900 years. And right now we're on the upswing of the next, uh, next thing.
0: And so it's, you know, this is his later work, and he, you know, he's got—you you wouldn't believe the mountain of material that Steiner left behind. I mean, it's unbelievable how many lectures he gave a lecture every day of his life for about forty years so for years. Yeah, I, I years. listen
1: to some of that stuff, man. You really got to pay attention, or you're not going to follow it. At <laughs> least I do. It's intense.
0: Yeah. What's that, Steiner's lectures? Yeah, the lectures. It's unbelievable. You click on something, and you think you're learning about one thing, and he's talking about something totally different. So that was my first couple years with Steiner. Was just like. Impressed, but totally lost. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so I, you know, and that, so, but yeah, so that's his later work. And I, I think it's important. Like I've been saying to talk about his early work. Um, so, yeah, I, I, know about some of his stuff and, and uh, your previous guest, Dr., you know, Mr. Emerson or whatever, uh, gave a, what's his name? Um, gave, Rick Emerson. Gave, yeah. you know, Rick Emerson he, he knew a lot about it and he did a really good characterization of it. I, I don't even know as much as, you know, it's, i I've, I'm trying to work my way through it chronologically. So, yeah. Well, sure.
1: that's, that's the main point is you got to work at it. If you want to learn yeah. about this guy, you actually have to put the time in and work at it. And... I
0: agree. And it, it's it, it for me, is it's more fun for me than watching like a movie. Right. You know, like it's absolutely because it's about humanity. There's still in, intrigue and all this stuff. But, you, you know, I, I make this distinction between consuming and creating. When you're reading a book, you have to you have to create some understanding of it. But when you're watching a movie, it's kind of all consumption. So, yeah. Anyway.
2: I wanted to ask you about something. So Uh I've listened to the Egyptian mysteries lectures that are, I mean, I think you can find them on YouTube. Um, But it talks about what you were just talking about, like the epochs and and the changing of the time. And he goes through the, you know, like the Egyptians and how their architecture was structured in such a certain way. Um, And then you move on to the Greeks who had it, you know, they started to evolve and they opened up their pillars and it was almost like reconnecting, um, to the spiritual realm, basically leaving that like overhead, like enough overhead, you know, if you look at a lot of the Greek structures, that is kind of how they're built. There's a lot of right. overhead room or headspace, if you will. Um, and then he goes on to the Romans. And basically that was the first time that we really started to kind of evolve into what we've become today. Um, what do you think about all that? Do you think that that's, uh, you know, there's any validity to any of that or?
0: Uh, I, yeah, that one I've maybe listened to that one once, but I, I don't remember the points you're talking about, so I, I don't I don't feel too comfortable saying much about it. Um, no, no,
2: absolutely. Yeah,
0: um, but he even reminds me. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Marshall McLuhan. No, no, never heard of him. He's a guy. Terrence McKenna used to he he gave a good lecture about. Um, but McLuhan was a, a media savant in the '70s, which is a weird term, but he was an expert in how media affects humanity and and culture. But, but it was something similar. He made, you know, points about how we, when we invented language, we enclosed ideas and that's when we first built enclosing structures. So like when language came about, so did building and, and he makes this awesome relationship between that. So I, I, I don't have any problem with the more, with the strange way, Tyner, you know, Steiner ties things together, True. but I'd have to, I'd have to look into that one. Yeah.
2: Um, in terms of, So we're talking about all this. So, like, through your work, though, you said you were an atheist. Has anything changed? I'm not saying that you for sure. Believe one way or the other now, but has has it changed your outlook on the way that you look at that sort of you know whether there's a God or an afterlife that kind of stuff?
0: Yeah, again, I I was absolutely staunch. You know, I used to I remember asking my father I was probably 13 or 14. You know, what, what happened? What do you think happens when you die? Not that I was right. looking at him as an authority, but and he told me, you know, I think we're dead in the ground, right? You know, I don't think there's anything <laughs> after it. So I, that's what it's I heard. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of laughed at it about it, so um, I, I I have to confess it, and it was not easy for me, but. Reading Steiner I, I you know within it's only I've been reading him for about 7 8 years within the last 2 or 3 years it's kind of worked its way into me where I'm much more comfortable with ideas of uh afterlife and stuff like that and and the simple reason is is that for him he's a monist the way that scientists are monist he scientists mm-hmm. are material monist for Steiner it's about consciousness um and and with consciousness, you know so many all things are possible right it's It's not the same thing as material in fact, material itself is consciousness so it's it's not just um, a sort of faith thing, but it, it makes perfect sense to me how you know I could experience something else and i probably see the, the thing about it right is that he he actually shows that the way that we construct our scientific theories about who we are are are, are not plausible so the conclusions they come to are not plausible. And in fact, you know, it's, it's not just the faith thing. It's, it's not even just philosophy, but scientifically the idea of materialism is totally unfounded. The hard problem of consciousness. Um, have you heard of this?
2: No, but I mean, I, it makes a lot of sense. I so mean, the,
1: what of, does he believe that happened? What, what does he say happens when you die?
0: Well, for Steiner. So I have this thing. I, I think consciousness right? This is a little definition I've come up with is consciousness is a process in the universe that the universe itself employs when it's already existing laws are no longer sufficient for it to proceed. So it's already, yeah, so it's already (laughs) developed a bunch of natural laws for how things like, you know, chemistry and crystals and even plants and animals, right? But then it it hit a, a It's on, you know, it's the vanguard, the very edge of evolution. That's where we are. So we are doing the, we're carrying the work of the universe, right? We are the universe working. And so we, it it gave us attributes to accomplish those goals. And the main attribute it gave us is consciousness. Um, so consciousness um, is an, an incredibly important piece of the universe and its evolution. And so it, it's, its job is, you know, the universe wants to nurture that consciousness. We are doing something for the universe, so it takes care of us. So our consciousness is, is a, you know, is, is a quality that the universe wants to keep around and add to and let grow. So for Steiner, I think it follows that we are, you know, he believes in reincarnation and he believes in karma, which is simply the universe, you know, allowing us to get better at what it needs us to do. Right. Right. So for, so for him, the idea of living a life and then it being erased is not only senseless and non-scientific, but you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't follow from his view of the universe. So for him, we are going to go on and have to do we're going to have to keep going right like i think suicide is not a way out it's just a furthering you know you're not you're going to have another experience on the other side of this speaking of people I don't know
2: anthony Bourne. yeah all right people get help if you need it and we've all been there you know
0: i just i, I always want to put in its mental health is something that i don't have a grasp on and it's incredibly difficult and i don't know if he was suffering from some kind of mental health yeah,
2: I, but, I definitely have it was, yeah, it's, it's really
0: very hard yeah. to be critical about anyone that's suffering uh, right. suffering, actually the, probably the biggest mystery in the universe is suffering and how, mm-hmm. you know, but, but at the same time, it's just, the, w- what if it doesn't end, right? What if you're not dead in the ground? What if you have to keep going? Like <laughs> you have certain relationships in your life or certain things that you're trying to do. And what if they don't, what if you have to solve them? I think it's pretty fascinating. It's great. So, so in that way, he actually really, you know, for Steiner, humanity is the capstone and the center of the entire world structure. Humanity is is everything for Steiner. We're not just an accident. We are, you know, the precipice of mm-hmm. evolution. Now there's a, there's many hierarchies beyond us, but we're the, we're one of the leading edges. So for all of that, I, so he, you know, for him, it's, it's a continuation. And it's going to be a lot like this. You know, we, we have this idea that our lives are petty and that our relationships are, they're not, I think, you know, that this stuff is the universe trying to become more complicated. And so Right. Well, I don't want
2: to, I don't want to correlate the two together because I do think that one has more scientific merit than the other but both Edgar Cayce and um Rudolf Steiner both talk about free will and how with karma and the balance of the universe and if you're looking at things scientifically there is a balance or a duality kind of to everything. Um, then that would mean that if we didn't have free will and like you were talking about Sam Harris saying that every, every action and everything is just pointless because it's just programmed into us through neurological memory and all that kind of stuff. Um, What I'm trying to get at is though both Steiner and Casey talk about how, God would be a bad God if that was the case, meaning that there would be no point to anything. And it's just this dumb, the dumb universe theory, which everything's an accident and all that stuff, right. as opposed to creating free will. And you were talking about reincarnation. There's, you know, there's books on family karma and what happens in the next life that carry over and all that kind of stuff. I I think that I believe in, that kind of stuff to a certain extent. I don't know how much of a carryover it would be, you know, if you Absolutely right. killed somebody by accident in this life, are you going to have to pay in the next life? I don't know. Right. But sure. um, we do have an effect on the universe. There is a ripple. There's a vibration that we create. Yeah. Um, and I was just curious what you had, what you think on that, like the whole free will aspect of it.
0: Well, so this reminds me of that first question is what's the most important philosophical questions that are facing humanity. Um, and so he actually starts. So, again, the way I found Steiner was this book, The Philosophy of Freedom. Okay. Um, that title, you know, grabbed my attention. I was reading Sam Harris, We Don't Have Free Will. So, what, what you know, it, I was willing to read this book. And it seemed interesting. Um, the thing about it is, like you said, so if if we're not free, not only are we in a dumb and blind universe, but we're literally just witnesses to, and makes, it makes suffering just abhorrent and unbelievable. Like, you know, any pleasure you get, that's fine, but you have no control over it. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's, 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 it's you know, this is the whole gripe about post-truth and post-modernism and this kind of stuff. You know, if, if you follow that philosophy, then the culture that you're going to get from that is just one, you know, they talk about rightly so i mean it's really interesting when they talk about the way that the legal system gets affected by that you know what do you do with you know it and maybe maybe it doesn't get affected too much so there's a lot of debate in philosophy but anyway the idea of living without freedom should really scare people and it should it it pointed me in the direction of wanting to find out um and uh i i i you know it, it, I, it looks as if steiner may have given a lot of insight into the problem of freedom because it really it truly is a very very difficult problem to to find out h- how it is we could be free um and i don't i don't it's really important to, to look into all of that science and all the philosophy they're not you know people non-esoteric people are you know even steiner points out are doing unbelievable work and their insights are go go really far they just don't go all the way um right so i just think without freedom there's really nothing to talk about we wouldn't where would be, you know, we would just be here looking. Um, it seems to it has to be there for it, for any of this to make sense. So my thing is just that I just rather assume that it's there than assume that it's not there.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, what do you have know, to well, lose? Right? Like, what do you have to lose? You're, yeah, you're exactly. dead and it doesn't matter or it matters. You
0: know? Absolutely. It's kind of like a you know conversion of that whole believe in God thing. But like I said, I, I wanted to find out. Um, and so I, that's why I think, you know, this book is so important. Um, I don't know. Does that, does that come close to the question you asked? I don't
2: oh, know. No, that, 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 that does a great job of it. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you is do you know if you ever experimented with any sort of mind altering substance or psychedelics? I, I know back then obviously there wasn't things like LSD and stuff right. like that, but mushrooms have been around forever. People have been eating them. Right. Uh, you know, Freud used to do cocaine before it was popular. So, right.
0: Well, so there's two. I have two conflicting currents that I that I think about. For, for as far as Steiner goes, I know for a fact uh, that the only worldly thing that he seems to have taken part of is something called snuff. Which oh, it's while- like
2: tobacco, like shooting tobacco up his nose. You
0: you sniff it, yeah was it sniffing or yeah. I don't know if it was the lip thing. I don't know. I, I don't really know anything about it, but you yeah. know, it seems- Kevin
2: knows about the lip thing. We were <laughs> on a camping trip when you were younger. This kid yeah. put one little chunk of a chew in his, in his jaw. This kid instantly turned, turned white, dirty. swallowed it by accident. This <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll dude, dude, dude,
0: dude, yeah. What about the nose? What is it? I don't know. what. I don't know. Stuff is. is
2: like a bullet. Like, you know, people do cocaine or whatever. I guess back then those were actually used to shoot tobacco or weed or hash. I think people have done before, too. So there is... That's what I took away
1: and from let, it. Let's reiterate, we're not talking snuff films
0: here. We're <laughs> talking, no, 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 no. So something called snuff that Steiner would have done in his early part of his life, I don't know how long he did it for, but that's he didn't drink or smoke or... Right. There's was, a lot
2: of shamans that use that, though, too. If you look look at a lot of these shows, well, like Hamilton's Pharmacopia and all that kind of stuff, they show the shamans doing that, what you're talking
0: right. about. But this gets back to what Rick Emerson was talking about, where um, and, and it kind of makes me want to bring up another there, there's two people that I research heavily. It's Rudolf Seiner And there's this guy that's alive today. His name's Tom Campbell. Okay. He's a, a retired physicist. That's he's an American. He's worked for NASA and he's had contracts with all these government things and mm-hmm. missile defense. And, but, but anyway, um, it, it actually gets into the history of, uh, psychic research in America, which is cool to touch on. Um, but have you ever heard of someone like Robert Monroe, Probably. Well, I mean,
2: I know we know about, uh, the, uh, remote view. I know about remote viewing. That's I know about, about, um, yeah, like there the Montag experiments, all that. There kind you
0: of stuff. So this guy's Joseph. Mc- yeah, this is him. Joseph McMoneagle is pretty famous. There's a guy named Ingo Swan who was an artist. Um, so then there's Dean Radden, not Dean Radden. Um, he's okay. But, uh, uh, so it's, uh, Russell Targ gave okay. a really great Ted talk that got taken down about, Psych, uh, psychic ability. I've
2: seen that. I watched all, I've watched all of the, uh, expel, or whatever you right. want to call them. Taking so, type so, dogs, right?
0: right. So Robert Monroe was one of the guys that was around during that research that the government funded. So it's a really funny story, right? So like, I think it was in the fifties or yeah, I'm I'm really bad with history, which is which is kind of t- I gotta brush yeah. up on that. But be good at everything, right? Welcome yeah, to my so, so the, so the American government learned that the Russian government had been doing had been putting millions of you know dollars or whatever into r- psychic research in and, and attempts to militarize it. So it freaked the American government out, and they went to their they you know they found a couple people to go to and say, hey, we, you know the Russians are doing all this research. If they get ahead of us, it could put us in danger. So we want you to do the research, but you know what they really wanted was for them to say, all of this doesn't work. You don't have anything to worry about. So they were looking for their scientists to do the research and say it doesn't work. Well, the scientists did the research and they all said that it worked. And so they'd send these military guys around and say, oh, you're lying. You're, you're scamming us. You're taking the money because it can't work. So there must be another motivation. And so then they would have that military guy, they'd make him do the psychic experiment, they turn him into a psychic. And it, I mean, There's a story that this guy tells about, you know, he's sitting with his hands like this because this military guy just performs. You know, so it's really, really funny stuff. Um, right. uh, so Robert Monroe was one of the guys that was sort of around that a whole thing. So he, he's a guy that spontaneously started floating out of his body at about 55 years of age. So he thought he was dying or going crazy or had a brain aneurysm. So we had all this... So, you know, scientific or uh, health, you know, ran all these health tests. What and what stuff was about. like astrally projecting? Was yeah, it involuntary? Was like, or a, involuntary. Or by accident. So he would just float. He would buzz, and he'd float out of his bed. And so he he was trying to figure out what the heck's going on. And when none of his doctors or psycho a you know, psychologist could tell him what was going on, he turned to wanted to build a lab to study what was happening to him because he knew it was happening to him but he couldn't explain it and he was being called a quack right you can't talk about these things but it's happening so then he employs this guy this this graduate student nobody at like 27 tom campbell to build him a lab there's another guy that they work together and so these two young guys and rob Monroe build this lab to study consciousness and the they didn't no, there was no exchange of money, but they just wanted, you know, Tom wanted Robert to show him the technique. He wanted to also expand his consciousness. Tom Campbell had run into meditation. Anyway, so Tom Campbell learns to meditate. But not just that, It you know, it turns out that, you know, through karma and reincarnation, he had some predisposition to these things, and he was actually incredibly, incredibly good at it. So Tom Campbell learned to travel into astral space, relearned to do it at about 30. He was doing it as a child, but had forgotten and so, then, for the for, from you know from like eighty five when he was thirty years old until now, he's been doing scientific experiments in the non physical, which awesome. to me is a fascinating concept. Yeah, uh, he would do stuff like you know. So there's the whole. You ever heard of the idea about what's it called? The um, akashic records.
2: I mean, I meditate, yeah. and I've. I'm not going to say that I've for sure seen it, but right. I feel like I've come close to you have to be deep in it though i mean i'm talking like an hour into meditation it's not something that happens right away
0: absolutely so tom campbell talks about achieving that point blank consciousness state where you've so it's it's a whole thing it's really interesting to unpack and i use tom campbell to to bounce off steiner and I, i bounce back between the two of them because they seem to be doing the same thing but 100 years apart now tom campbell doesn't have the philosophical background that steiner has but he's very experiential. Um, Anyway, I I forget where we're going, but uh, so, yeah.
2: (laughs) No, you were Um, just saying that like, uh, you know, because Steiner, like you were saying, I think, this is where it was going, was that, you know, a lot of his work was overlooked and now you have these modern day people. There's this modern day movement. I feel it. I watch all these YouTube videos and I do research and I'm reading all sorts of books. And um, I think that there's a ton of mysteries out there. You know, consciousness is like the final frontier, but there's all sorts of like little subsidiary things, especially with like um, psychedelics, the research that they're doing maps is doing the the research with MDMA and you've got California. They're doing, uh, research with depression and dying cancer patients and with, uh, giving them mushrooms and them having mystical experiences, giving them peace before they die. So, you know,
0: right. Um, yeah. Uh, so do you mind if, uh, can we, can I, kind of let me steer the conversation for just a moment? I want to
2: absolutely do Do your thing.
0: So, so, just talking about his early works, like I, like I was saying, so the important philosophical questions humanity is facing, right? So, freedom. Um, so, the first thing is you can't find out if you're free if your knowledge is, is inaccurate, right? So, then you have to find out. He points out that you have to, in, in order to find out whether or not we're free, we have to discover what our knowledge is capable of. So, then he turns to epistemology, which he actually wrote the book first. So, he wrote this book about epistemology and he does this really, really interesting stuff where, so one fact about epistemology, which is the theory of knowledge, is that you can't start with a, any. You can't start with any thoughts. You can't start with knowledge to to uh, affirm what knowledge is. So he kind of points out this conundrum. Whereas like with, with another natural science, you you have assumptions. You, you assume that space and time exist. You assume that you know. You assume certain things exist. But with with epistemology, right. it's the only one where you can't assume anything to start. So? It's gotcha. this, he poses this interesting question that in order for it to be valid it can't have it can't just be built out of knowledge because you that that knowledge may be incorrect right you have this so you know so he asks, like where where is there a point you know how do you define the point previous to knowledge how you know this is where epistemology has to start so what would that be and uh it reminded me of like let's say when you're born as a baby right you what he's talking about is you're he actually describes, so what happens is, as consciousness, we are faced with what he calls the given, which is just a philosophical term for the universe, right? Okay. God, or whatever. So it, it turns out, the first thing that happens to us is we discover that we are a consciousness that's in relationship with this given. Um, we exist. It's simply, I, you know, we exist. So we can't, you can't deny we exist. So obviously, even a, a staunchest skeptic and stuff Dan Dennett,
2: like Descartes, basically you exactly
0: know. like Descartes. So, so you say what? Yeah, exactly like that. The Cartesian method. Um, so then, Steiner points out that you're in, you're at this place where you're, what, what? What basically the situation is your your consciousness and the whole world is at flux in front of you, but because you have no concepts to apply to the world, it's he calls it this. It's like a flat plane where nothing has any more significance than anything else. So it's filled with colors. It's filled with sounds and textures. Your senses are working, but your mind isn't, right? So it's the the universe previous to any mind being added to it. It's a fascinating idea. So you're you're in this relationship. And so he talks about if you create something, creating means uh, dictating every piece of the process. But if you don't create something, then there's a demand to explain it. There's a demand for knowledge. If you create something, there's no demand for knowledge because you're the, you're the one that created it. Right. So you know it, but if you didn't create it, then the knowledge is the first thing that needs to happen. Right. You know, it's just, there's a, he calls it a desire for knowledge in the same way we desire food or water. Humanity has a desire for knowledge. Each individual does. Um, and Can I, I ask you a
2: question actually about sure. that. Cause I'm actually yeah. kind of going through that right now. Um, I play music. I'm in a, was in jam band. I've decided to take a little bit of a break, just kind of worn out and from, you know, all the aspects of it, recording and practicing all the time and stuff. And since, well, okay, I guess this was happening before, but I've been on this quest for knowledge, you know, thirst for knowledge within the last three years, I've read more books than I probably have my entire life. Um, and I wouldn't say it was an absence of the music, but they kind of started to evolve within that. So I, I, wanted my interest lied more now, with truth and knowledge and doing kind of what you're doing with, you know, Rudolf Steiner but, but kind of putting, piecing together my theory of everything, if you will. Um, what do you think? Do you think that's kind of along the lines of what you're talking about within the absence of one thing? Like I'm not creating any of this knowledge. So therefore I thirst for it. Cause I'm not actually doing it.
0: Well, exactly. Yeah. I, my view is that, you know, imagine, trying to survive in this culture, but had never been taught simple mathematics when you're in first grade, right? So Mm -hmm. so you're a person that's missing this whole swath of knowledge that would be essential for you to survive, right? Or say you never got taught something very important thing. Well, that's the thing that Steiner is saying happened. No human being is being taught the most important aspect of what needs to be in their minds in order to be a fully functioning human being we don't have a firm philosophical foundation for our culture and so the more you know the more you pay attention you know the more sensitive you are you start to realize that like it's it's a lack of mentorship Right, Mm -hmm. there's no strong mentor. Like I have no strong mentor in my life um, because no one. Like I, I have my father, but then I'd ask the questions like, "Well, why are we here?" And he would blatantly say, "Well, I don't know. No one really knows why we're here." Right. And so I was always fascinated by the idea that there's certain questions that are essential that we don't have the answer to, and that's what science is. Right. But um, so you know, I think what you're saying is you feel like this. You know, that's what I feel is. I feel like there's something that. With it, I could go on and be creative and be successful in a very simple way. Be the person I want to be. Not, not a great philosopher. You know, it's like we all have the burden of discovering truth because it hasn't do- been done yet. Right. That's a huge burden. And I'm I'm not, honestly, I'm not a very, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I didn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not some physicist. I don't you have to, a
2: good start, man. I'm not going to lie. You got some I, I, fascinating I just, points that you're bringing up. So yeah,
0: I just decided, I decided when I was 15, my dad would tell me, you know, go to college, So you can struggle and get a job. You're not going to enjoy it. You just got to prove you can do work and then you're going to get money. And the whole, he just painted life as this whole struggle against existence. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not game for that.
2: Most parents are like that. I know my dad, I I love my dad, but he's all about the, he loves the work, you know?
0: Right. So, but I just, (laughs) I have one life and I'd like to enjoy it. And I'd also like to know what it means. What's it about? So I just resigned to the fact that before I pursue any, career or like any role in life at all i'd like to know what it is that i how am i here i just my whole thing was i just got stuck on like all of the existential problems of it what it means to be human i i couldn't you know i wanted to play basketball well how am i you know it's just like how do you define yourself as any of these things if if everything is just at the bottom is just complete mystery right right feeling really uh, that's what i stuck with i'm not like Gifted in any academic sense, but I stuck with that feeling of this doesn't this doesn't make sense to me on an intuitive level. But you know, I wanted it to make sense, so that was what I that's what I've been doing. Um, and so, but what I found is it's you know, I don't have to lay it out. Steiner's already done that. Then, right. gosh, humanity has those figures, right? But we're ignoring it. Um, so with Steiner, Steiner's works although they're philosophy and they are arduous to get through, they're still very, very simple. It's not like these other philosophers. Like You tried to read philosophy today, and you have to get a degree in it because it's, that's not the way Steiner is. Although they're difficult, the books are all you know less than an inch thick. Mm-hmm. The philosophy of freedom is less than an inch thick. The, you know, He's got a book called Truth and Knowledge. It's a pamphlet, and he, he attempts to lay a foundation of knowledge. It's unbelievable. And so I just need the philosophers of the time to read this guy and I just want them to prove, I want him to prove me wrong. Like I am still open to something wrong about everything, but it's just hard to fathom how he could be almost at this point. The more you turn over rocks, the more proof you find. Um, yeah, so right. Um, what do you think about the Waldorf schools? Well, so the Waldorf schools, as with the anthroposophical society, which is the society that he founded, it's, it's with any company. The further you get from that original stimulus, the further it seems to travel from that stimulus. So right. the Waldorf schools should be looked at as completely independent of Steiner's philosophy. And they're an enterprise that are built on his philosophy. You know, they draw from its philosophy, but they aren't it. They're, they're not synonymous. Um, they're pretty great. I mean, I think I think, you know, being that they're based on his philosophies about how to educate children, and he has a really good... There's really great reasons as to why he should be an authority on that. He he basically tutored his entire life, um, so he's got some really great stories about his interaction with people. All, he's been an, he's been an educator his entire life, so he had a lot to say about education. Um, but it's just it's up to them to to employ those things. And if you, if someone greedy or you know, I'm sure that they're. I'm, I think that most of them are really probably really great. Um,
1: yeah, I know a couple people that went there, and I one of our
0: friends puts his daughter or has his daughter going there, so the only thing is the only thing is, is that that they're trying to give these children a certain worldview, but the culture that they're embedded in is not that worldview. And so it's almost an impossible task for these children. And the thing is, they're also not the the emphasis isn't on Steiner or even his philosophy. It's just on his ideas of education, how, how, you know, how to, how to educate children. But so they don't actually learn his philosophy. It's not about learning about Steiner. It's just about how he taught people. Um, so it's, it's a great school, but it's not going to get them all the way. They, they would have, everyone has to read his early work, I think, to get a grip on it. And Maybe not, but, you know.
1: Well, I, I think it's better than going to school and learning that Egypt is 2,500 years old and shit. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> well, the thing about public education in this country is that it literally is indoctrination. It's nationalistic indoctrination, and it has the task of picking out leaders that won't question authority and suppressing anyone that is a little bit too unhinged and right. then the whole working class and it's got it's oh, yes got, bar it's got yeah. a couple tasks but none of them are education so the, the public education in our country is, is not an education it's it's a nationalistic and economic structure it, it's it has
1: not, really it's
0: just
2: an agenda
0: it you know? is it truly is it tr- it's, it's it's very sad and so like I, I had a horrible experience in high school in public education it was just because i was treated like barman i wasn't treated like a human um, i was actually gonna ask you where are you from uh, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, Okay, uh, like Westchester, um, about an hour outside of Philadelphia.
2: Yeah, nice. I've got I've been there. I got family from Philadelphia area.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, but yeah, so it's just, you know, so I, but back to your point, you're trying to be a musician, but you have this internal strife about life, which shouldn't be there because we should embrace this holistic view of humanity in the world. You
2: know, I've used it, you know. I've used it for inspiration in the past. Like that, I, that part, that part of me was always like the fire that would always produce exactly. new riffs, new jams, new I lyrics. But now I'm starting to realize I have this thirst, and it's it's like a vampire that can't get enough fucking blood, and I just can't get enough knowledge. I just bro. everything I read, you know, right. um, I just right. can't get enough, and I get like so excited, and it's like literally I'm doing this till two o'clock in the morning. Well, every
0: I, I you know, again. The universe, you know, we have, it's not that, see, we're not a tool that's created by the universe with a specific task in mind. We're not a tool. We have an opportunity, right? Because we're free. So each of us, Mm -hmm. we are, we are given an opportunity and we can, we can say I don't, I don't, I want to take the universe in this other direction or, you know, you can go with it. You you can do whatever you want with it. Um, But I just think that once you get uh oh yeah, so once you establish I, I think that's the drive is you're trying to, you know, you're you're trying to establish yourself as a useful part of the universe and that, that's what's so exciting about it. And the more you connect yourself, the more you open up, the more pieces are dependent on you and you're dependent on them. I, I think I think it's very exciting. And like I said, I'd rather read in the right mindset, I love reading this stuff rather than seeing like a movie. When I when I want to sort of feel like I'm growing, I will I will read for sure. Um yeah.
2: Absolutely. What do you think? Um I was going to ask you about the two things, two part question here. Have you ever heard of biocentrism, which is uh, this guy's book, Dr. Robert Lanza. He's a scientist um, and he incorporates like, you know, ideas like quantum entanglement, superposition, along with the fact that the the base of the thing is that we're creating consciousness, meaning that um, what we see and whatever we're creating with, you know, basically within as opposed to for it to being material and everything set already and us just being the observer, we're yeah. the observer that's creating this world that we're living in. Basically, it's kind of an interesting book I've run it by um, some scientists on Reddit. They, said half of it's bullshit. Half of it's, <laughs> got some merit, you know, so, yep. but it's like, I don't bullshit. know what to believe, man. There's always, well, I don't know what to believe. Like we did an episode on it. I recommend people listen to that because it, you know, it is a fascinating book. Um, it is worth a read. It kind of goes along with some of the points that we, you know, we've been talking about with Steiner. Yep. Um, but it actually incorporates a lot of like, like quantum theory and all that kind of stuff. Well, too,
0: this so. Is, so that's why I brought up Tom Campbell is he, he's a, he's a physicist and he actually talks a whole ton about the double slit experiment and yep. the of quantum mechanics. And I, I, so his book is actually called my big toe.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's, that's popped up <laughs> right when I pulled up his, his, uh, so, so
0: you said it earlier, actually, you said you, you were trying to write for yourself a theory of everything. That's what toe is. It's a theory of everything. So it's t- my, so he calls it my big toe because he he actually talks about this exact idea. It's his big toe, so that's his big toe. But he needs all of us. You know, we all need to also have a big toe. So um, a theory of everything. So that, so he wrote his big toe. Um, we need to write our big toe, which is just our lives. Right. But so <laughs> he uh, he is uh, like I said, uh, he's got insights into quantum mechanics, and so he he calls himself a virtual reality theorist. He he, he associates with virtual reality um and so just to get i i really like, like
2: we're in a simulation or are you just simulation
0: theory exactly yeah. so i think it's a really fun picture to paint uh so if you don't mind i would do that I, it sounds exactly it sounds like it's very comparable to what the via what yeah. was it yeah um so
2: Bio-cent, biocentrism
0: right so tom campbell does these these cool mind experiments right so say you are you know you, so think about an avatar in one of these games, like he always talks about world of warcraft now he 's a six year old guy it 's really fun to hear him talk about it but so you 're an avatar in world of warcraft right you 're an elf is what he talks about um, so say say you're a scientist, say you have the mind of a scientist you, you would like to do science, but you 're an avatar in a simulation, so you could do physics in your simulation, you could find out how long it takes a rock to fall to the earth, and you could time it out, and you could learn that it 's consistent, and you could find a formula. In as an avatar in a simulation, you could do these things depending on how good the simulation is. You could do a lot of physics, you could do chemistry if it was programmed into it, right? right? Now, ask yourself the question I'm this avatar, but I, you know, let's just also add the human being. The human being is playing the avatar, whatever, but where is that avatar attached? According to that avatar's reality and the three-dimensional right. reality that that avatar is in, where is it attached to the player? It's not. It's not, right? There's, no, there's nothing in its reality that connects it to any part of our reality, right? Because right. that game doesn't include it, wouldn't, it, it couldn't include like a connection from the virtual reality to our reality, right? So that virtual reality is kind of like floating in like a non-space in a certain sense. Yeah. Now where it actually is floating is in our minds, right? We experience that reality. We see it on the screen and stuff like that. So in fact, the virtual reality in the computers is, is really located in our minds, but so is everything else in that sense. Um, but he just points out that that avatar doesn't need to be connected to the, the whole structure that's supporting it. So what you have here is a metaphor for our reality. So he says the idea, so basically every time you hear virtual reality or simulation theory, what you're hearing is the person trying to express that they believe that consciousness is the, is the monistic thing in the universe and not material. Gotcha. So, um, for, you know, for Campbell, um, our reality is a virtual reality, which means that there is a supporting structure that isn't of this physical, right? He call, talks about this is, we're in PMR, he calls it physical matter reality. Now, we're a subset, and the set that's supporting us he calls NPMR, non physical matter reality. Gotcha. He keeps the matter reality part, but he calls, calls it non-physical. And what he says is that depending on where your consciousness is, certain realities are going to seem physical and then non-physical. So if you're in this reality, the spiritual world has to feel non-physical in the same sense that if you're in the avatar's reality, the actual computer is not physical in that reality, right? Right. If you're the avatar in the simulation. That's the world. And the, you, you could never find the computer, the hard drive. But of course it has to be there for him. That's about how we are. So what we are is we're, we're an avatar. We are a people, we're a consciousness. We we are, you know, somehow the universe gave us the attribute of being able to, to have consciousness. We have this stage of consciousness. We also have an eye, we have the power to think. So these are all the different bodies that Steiner talks about. Um, so, you know, for Campbell and for these virtual reality theorists, consciousness, um, is being fed a data stream there's a, a universal data stream so for for Campbell we are all in a simulation but it's a shared simulation like so maybe
2: that's what the akashic record is that you're tapping into is this plane that everything does exist and if you can pick out pieces of it cool well,
0: exactly so well the akashic record so there's the physical matter reality stream that we are all typically in that's the right. data that we receive when we were awake right right but when you go to sleep you what your mind is doing is not your mind but your consciousness is neglecting that part of the data stream and asking for another data stream. So like, if you're sleeping, that's a, a whole nother reality for, for Campbell. You actually go to, and again, you start to get a better, I really like the virtual reality picture because you can think of like files in a hard drive or something. So like the hard drive is the spiritual world, right? Well, right. that's the hard drive, not the soft drive. That That's shit. That's what's real. Our, our reality is like a file in the hard drive. It's that our reality is much more non-physical. It's much more, derivative in that sense as far instead of being fundamental um, and then oh yeah so the akashic records is like another part of god or or the universe or that spiritual world that stores all of the data from it's it's the past record so if you think of a computer it's just you know it has every slice of the simulation saved that's all it's a it's, right. a, it's a memory bank so You know, the universe created memory forever ago, and it's been using, it has unlimited storage data, and it's been using it to its advantage whenever it needs it. So the Akashic Records is there because the universe saves everything. And so what you can do with your consciousness, you can sit there in physical reality, meditate, close down that data stream, and simply query the universe for anything else. And this is actually how Tom Campbell describes astral projection. You're, you're consciousness, and you can query the universe for anything you want. Now, you, your culture has trained you to only query about this reality. Right. And our crux in the historical epoch, as Steiner points it out, orients us to ask for certain things at certain times. But we're consciousness, so we have every possibility open to us. And we can ask for the universe... As long as the information exists, we can ask for it. So, you know, Robert Monroe, Tom Campbell's teacher, talks about literally talks about going to other realities, going to other planets, and talking to communities on those planets, like a fucking Star Wars thing, right? Yeah. So you can read that. Tom Campbell doesn't give you the details, but he says, you know, there's another guy, Emmanuel Swedenborg, who okay. was alive before Steiner. He's got. Volumes of his description, he talks to people on Mars, talks to people on Venus, talks to people and you know what I mean, like angels and spirits. so these people just there's all of a sudden just bursts open at the seams, all this like seemingly fantastical stuff about communicating but i 'm saying the universe is vast and it 's not in the physical universe, but this the spiritual world is unbelievably big and weird sure. you know, yeah so that's that's kind of the so thing do
2: you think. think the spiritual realm is a different dimension or something? um within us that's like a chemical thing or what do you think it is
0: well so going back to the virtual reality I really really appreciate it it gives me the insight that sort of settles my mind when I ask that question so dimensions is just an idea you know I, I kind of don't get super on board with saying it's another dimension because there's, you know, dimensions is like one, two, three dimensions of space.
2: Yeah. I just mean like in simple terms, like something that we can't fathom or reach. Based
0: no, so, on so our so that's Campbell's metaphor is uh, it, it's all, everything is data, right? So this is the thing is instead of matter or even consciousness, in fact, the universe is made of data. It's all information, you know, bits. It yeah. from, um, and so consciousness is a certain pattern of information. Um, and we are embedded in another pattern of information, which is a universe, right? And that universe is embedded in another pattern, which is the super universe. And that's embedded in another pattern, which is the super, super universe. And eventually you find the Godhead. Um, so there's a very systematic unflowing of all these information patterns. Um, so, as far as, well, what you're just asking, which pattern am I looking at? It doesn't make much sense to say which universe am I, am I in because it's all information. It's, you're actually just asking about different sets of the information within. Within God, so confusing yourself about what's reality you're in, you know, maybe that's not the clearest terms to speak about. It's not scientific to say that I'm in this reality or that reality. You see what I'm saying? Like, of course it's right. a, a distinction, but it's not a fundamental distinction. And that's what you're getting hung up. Where where is it? Well, where are you? We're all right. in God. That's that's the only place there is, right? We're all in consciousness. Um, so he says, Tom Campbell even says it's not about getting out of the universe or out of your body. It's not about getting out of your body. It's getting into your mind. And when you get into your mind, because you're consciousness, you're just a set of information. You're a pattern that the you're just a pattern on the pattern of the universe. <laughs> so there's certain people call themselves patternists. Their philosophy is a philosophy of patterns. And that's, that's the constituent of the universe. Instead of something like matter, it's information.
1: Well, I'm confused. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. It's, it, I, I, don't think it's, I, I think, well, I think it made a
2: lot of sense. I mean, I, no, look, it's cool. I've it's definitely, cool. you know, looked into all those theories too, and I think there's some merit to it. So I don't know. Again, I think that there's so many different um, avenues uh, surrounding the same subject that you just kind of have to do your best. But what you're saying makes a lot of sense in terms of um, from looking at it from almost like out of the picture within, which I think a lot of people look, you know, what's in front of their face to without a couple things I want to talk about. I think Steiner's whole ego being the highest form of self thing kind of clashes with Eastern philosophy, which is that we want to dissolve our ego so that we can become one with whatever we truly are, which is part of this pure consciousness universe.
0: Um I, so you have to be careful um, i i don't have i'm not an expert in this but i have a hunch right like this i'm gonna steal this i'm gonna piggyback off this idea about chakras okay so if you do the research it turns out that our conception of chakras is only about 30 years old yet we displace it onto history and we think that they that's exactly how they thought about it right okay but if you do the research, it turns out that it's really been developed in the last about 30 years. Since like the 60s, chakras have been. And so the idea of how where they are and how many they have and what they do and stuff, you know, how many people are actually reading exactly what the Vedas wrote in Hindu and getting the right translation. Right. So you have to be careful that you're not pasting a modern conception onto the past. Um, so I don't know exactly what they how the you know the ancient eastern religions thought about what they were doing um, but steiner talks a lot about it so my whole problem with the idea of dissolving into nothing is for steiner you know it's important to accomplish what you're doing in your life It, it what you're doing in your life has the utmost you know effect on the universe so um, I think it's important to build, like I almost imagine us, we have to, we have to build a society that works, not dissolve into God. Right. Now that may have been the goal at another epoch, but in our epoch, it's, it's important. To- I,
2: I don't, I don't mean dissolve to God. I guess what I'm trying to say is I think there's this, um,
0: hmm, so the ego thing.
2: I, I, well, yeah. Okay. So like your ego can be a very actually bad thing. I mean, most people that I would see in public that are acting a certain way they're egotistical they're not even thinking about anybody but themselves and then i think that there's a a lack of um scope in that thinking that you you know you've got this little angel and little devil and i i look at the ego kind of sometimes as like the little devil because it's always pushing me in a direction that i know is wrong or i feel is wrong but yet it's there and, and, and you want to satiate it or feed it you know
0: so there's a distinction of terms that you have to make. Um, so going back to the whole thing about the relationship that you are in with the universe when you're born. So the universe is just this massive undifferentiated sense, sensorium, right? Well, the first thing that you discover about that is that there's one thing that's consistent amidst all the chaos. And that is the self. So the little baby has is in a world of chaos but there's one thing that's still and so it takes refuge in that stillness and it's always there and that's the self so the self is what's there staying put while everything else moves so then once you have the refuge in the self you begin to build knowledge so like you know physical scientists want to talk about how the brain develops but what they really are asking is how does the mind develop Mm-hmm. Um, and so the mind develops along the path that Steiner describes in his first book. Um, and so once that happens, you can work from that place. So your, your, I, you need to be able to say I exist in order to do anything at all. <sighs> so the ego is just the sense that I can say I exist and I can accomplish something. It's, it's freedom. So consciousness, freedom, and the ability to love, which I'll get into are all tied together. So for Steiner, the, when he says the ego is the highest member of the human being, it just means Like literally the Greeks didn't say I exist in the way that we say I exist once we like that's the thing is for steiner like the greeks and the egyptians had a really radically different orientation of the universe than we did they accomplished living in ways that are different they didn't have you know like the greeks are responsible for reason developing so it's not that they didn't have reason but they didn't turn to reason in the same way we do
2: they just use different building blocks to get where they were going right
0: different yeah exactly they were so i would love to experience the world as a greek or an egyptian for just an hour it's very very different than the way we experience it and when we would have a problem we would employ different methods of solving that problem and all sorts of stuff. So that's what Steiner talks about as the ego. It's the simply the ability to say I to myself. If you can't say I to yourself, you can't love someone else. You can't. Right. So, so, so that's what the ego is. Now, everything you were describing, Steiner agrees with. You don't, you know, love is about making space within your ego for someone else, right? Within your eye for someone else. Now, the ego doesn't want to do that. So I, I always turn to Tom Campbell with this. He says the opposite of love is fear, not okay. hate. So fear builds.
2: I agree with that actually.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of
2: hate hate is more of like an error to me when I think about it. It's just an error in thinking.
0: Well, and hate is derived from fear because you fear this person. You wouldn't need to hate them if you didn't fear them. So, so it turns out that underneath of hate is this fear of the thing. Um, So, you know, so that, that's a big pull that we're trying to, we're trying to get away from fear. So your ego is what's afraid. That's so actually Tom Campbell describes the ego you're talking about as intelligence in service of fear. Gotcha. Your intellect in service of your fears. So your ego is literally made out of your fears and that does not need to be there because you don't need to fear anything because consciousness is all that exists and loves the essence of the universe. Um, so what you fear is, is it, is the thing the universe wants you to get over. That's your karma. You know, it's not there for no reason and it's not there because you're weak or scared or because you had trauma or something like that. That's exactly where you need to be, but you need to, come to the conclusion that you can overcome it. And if you can overcome it, you can overcome everything, right? Right. Like you can love the world and the world can be better. So it's, so that ego is bad, but the ego in Steiner's philosophy is just that, that I that needs to be there in order for you to be free. That's your spirit.
2: I've had an epiphany where, okay, so I was having a psychedelic experience and I was thinking, you know, about my fiance and stuff. And I was just thinking, Oh man, I love her so much. I think, I had this epiphany to love somebody unconditionally, whether it's a brother, sister, fiance, husband, wife, child, whatever, is is to love God because you truly are loving somebody as if you were being loved unconditionally as the creator that you've been created by.
0: Well, uh, not to that's a, not to diminish that in any way, but imagine somehow achieving that for every person. I don't even know what that would mean, but I, I, yeah, I, I think that's, 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 that's
2: crazy. That's a love field that's beyond. Uh, yeah, well, that like,
0: would, that's like Jesus Christ type shit. That's <laughs> the love of God is to love everything that exists, despite. But but you're enacting that version of love for the single person. Is is the, is is it? the most important step that can be taken. Right. right. Um, and the more you add to that, you know, and I don't know, I have no idea, but perhaps that's the way we look at enlightenment as loving everyone or something like that. And the way that you're loving your fiance, which is unbelievable. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. Um, that's, that's yeah. Congrats. Yeah. Well,
2: thanks. One more thing.
0: Uh, <laughs> a little jealous. That's great. Before, look out.
2: Hey, look, I think everybody, if you open your heart and you're in the right place at the right time, I think it'll find you You just gotta be, perceptive to it, you know?
0: And again, um, it's a worldview. If you believe that the world is dumb and blind and that you're an accident, cosmic accident, uh, well, it's a lot harder to, to, to it's work. That's what from. you're saying about the building
2: block. Look, when I started with my fiance, you know, it, it didn't start this way. It, it progressed into this thing that of course we had an attraction or a mutual thing. And it just kind of grew and grew and grew and grew to this point. Like you're talking about, like, let's say you're building the pyramid at the base. It doesn't seem like much, but when you start getting towards the top, it really, starts to make sense, you know? Um, one thing I want to ask you though, to change, uh, to pivot on that is um, you, you talk about the, and I haven't learned about a lot of this aspect of Rudolph's work, but then there's the Christ figure, but then you have the two beings that oppose them and they're not necessarily devils, but they're just in opposition.
0: Well, yeah, it's really cool. So for him, Lucifer, yeah, they're not devils. Uh, Lucifer is, I'm not great at this, but I can just give you a rough a rough.: destiny. Yeah,
2: no, no, that's, I, I figured you'd know more than I would and more yeah. than just reading it on Wikipedia. so:
0: He talks about: So Christ represents this love that we're talking about, which is, for him, a balance point. But in order to achieve balance, there has to be two poles that you're balancing. So those two poles are Lucifer and Araman. You know, names are certain, but whatever. So it's important to understand the concepts behind what he's talking about. So Lucifer is, he calls the light bearer. It's, a, it's the thing that he, he talks about it as having a really inspiring effect on an individual. You know, they, it inspires them, it entices them, it intoxicates them. It, 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 it tests them and gives them trials. And it says, oh my gosh, I want to go do this. I want to try this. It's this really knowledge bearing, light bringing force. But You know, so that, but yeah, so that's, that's what Lucifer does. He's responsible for enticing us. And then Aramon is this other force, which he does look at as a little bit darker. It's a little bit the lower side of the pole. Aramon, I'm, I'm really don't know much too much about it, but he just kind of makes you lazy and uh, sort of uh, maybe skeptical and,
2: it, in Eastern philosophy, changing. they talk the harmonic presence is something that kind of what you're talking about misleads you, brings you down a dark path.
0: It, it's I basically know, right. I don't
2: know if you got that from that, but the I mean, it's well,
0: big, I, I guess a good way to think of it, yeah. Like so, so the, the whole thing, you know, um, you exist. If you if you believe that God exists and you move towards God, you're basically moving towards embracing the universe. But if you don't believe in God or you don't feel like embracing the universe, you. You go into a place. You delve deeper and deeper into yourself. You dig a giant ditch hole Ooh. into yourself, and that's where you act from. And so Aramon is that I want to act for myself, from myself, because of myself. And Lucifer is I'm, you know, ecstatic. You know, like you know, like the 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 characterization of like people in the sixties on acid, just loony, crazy, ecstatic. Right. Those are two poles, but you have to balance them, right? And so for Christ is the balance. Now, you need, again, you need both of them to inspire you to those things. Because if you're up in the cloud, you know, heaven's going crazy. You need to know that you exist. You have to have that self. So the armonic force will bring you back down. And then if you go too far, the luciferic force will bring you back. But the whole thing is that Christ represents this. He struck the balance perfectly. And so there, those, are the, you know, those two elements, like, again, the self needs to be there. You need to have the self. So that aromonic right. element needs to be there, but so does knowledge you know, of, of the rest of the world. So, yeah, that's, that's the idea. Um, so they're helpful, but you know, precarious. <laughs>
2: no, I mean, it makes sense. I, I always tell people that are, you know, having a tough time or whatever. I mean, you can't know you know, or, you know, without darkness, you can't see the light basically. Like you need that duality or that balance so that you can appreciate what's good or what's right. You know,
0: we need the two poles so that you can find the balance. Right. right, right, Yep. Yep. And so for Christ is simply the balance. And so that's what I, when I said, when I say Siner's a Christian, you know, it sets alarm bells off in my head and it probably should for people in this culture. But what he really, what I'm trying to say is that he's, that's a fact that's a philosophical fact of the universe for Steiner, and it's not some hokum religious thing it's just it's the name that he's you know giving for the ideal balance between the two poles of the universe right, right. that's not the christ so it's I, I hate talking about the Christ. it's just Christianity has gone has been such a negative force and so I've
2: been getting into Gnosticism, I find that an intriguing concept too that the God that created us is not the true God but a God that created us in error. Um, from out of out of ignorance basically and you know like we all we like to speculate and throw around theories and look, yeah. you know yeah. like um i don't know have you ever read i don't necessarily go by it as like a bible or anything i thought it was an intriguing read have you ever heard of the Urantia papers
0: i'd like to look into it i'm definitely intrigued yeah definitely
2: it talks about christ as a spirit that comes down and the difference between your Share people, a lot of stuff yeah it's different it's more about Not aliens, like they don't talk about aliens, but just that there's this whole, like what you were saying about that Tom Campbell guy, there's a whole community of angels and networks and structures within the universe that we just can't perceive or whatever you want to call it. Um, But yeah, it's an interesting book. It's actually a hard read similar to Steiner's work where there's a lot of philosophical ideas and different, you know, syntax structures that are hard to you, know, you have to reread stuff and stuff like
0: yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Uh, can I jump in re- real quick yeah, now? About yeah. yeah. The idea of beings being behind the universe. Um, obviously, that baffled me when I first heard it. And just recently, I came across a sort of, a, you know, a couple of concepts, you put them together, and it starts to make a little bit more sense. Um, so, it, you know, something that I forget which philosopher did it, but they, so it used to be that, if something exists, it has to exist in the mind of something. They actually understood this pretty well back in the day. Um, so if you know, it doesn't. It's not that the universe just exists inside of nothing. It's the question of well, where did the universe come from, right? Or where is the universe? Some people ask like how big it is, or well, where is it, or when is it, right? Like what, these questions. Yeah, it's
2: a giant's marble within a giant's marble. Within right. a giant... so
0: there's the whole. It's called infinite regress. So you have right. the problem of infinite regress. So they solved that problem in a, one way, is that, you know, well, the universe exists inside of the mind of God, right? Sure. So if the, if the universe that I see exists in my mind, well, the thing that I'm seeing has to exist in some other mind, right? Right. Well, this is the idea of beings behind natural things in the universe. So if you're a materialist, you think that the universe popped out of nothing and is now self-supporting. And so all Amen. of this yeah the big bang which is of course a, an unscientific theory at the heart of it it's um, big bullshit
2: is what it is
0: it's a yeah, big assumption um
2: yeah it's a great so, tv show right? yeah big right. science yeah.
0: so then so if if like say particles are you know they're out there just whizzing around for themselves well if you if you find that to be unscientific well then you need to you know to figure out well what are they in and again they're in a mind so then this is a really, really nice. So, okay. So what, what is humanity trying to accomplish? Right. Let, let's, I'm going to take it to a big final conception real quick and then we can yeah. understand it. Um, I, my, I just came to this too. I didn't re- necessarily read this specifically, but this is kind of a summarization of what I've been reading with Steiner. Um, you a consciousness and you have free will. So you can, Host, you know, you can view the universe that you're in, or you can ask, you you can query for a larger set of data. So you can move yourself around anywhere you want, depending on what you want to do. So and then you can also embrace individuals, other minds, as much as you want to do. So if you're selfish and you say, I want to become like, I used to want to become an NBA basketball player. So if that's how I put all my time into being an NBA basketball player, right? That, that's nothing wrong with that. But there's another opportunity. You could put your time into another person. So maybe I become a tutor or I become you know a philanthropist. Well, so if I truly become philanthropic and I open my, and I stop acting for myself and I start acting for somebody else that's in need. Well, the more that I do that, the more people I can bring into my ego and act for them from my free spirit, act for someone else. Well, maybe it is that we are trying to get us to a place where we are willing to embrace everyone on the planet. Right. It's sort of theoretical, but if I'm willing to embrace, if I'm a, if I'm the type of soul now, if my spirit is gotten into the habit of embracing other people and allowing them to achieve through me, well, all of a sudden now I'm, I'm a thing in the universe that the universe could use to support other beings' growth. You see what I'm saying? Sure. So now if I can have like, so, so Steiner has this unbelievable capacity for intellect. He can hold, you know, Tesla. I wanted to read something from Tesla, but Tesla is the same thing, right? They were actually yeah. born four years apart. Only we know seven a lot about college.
2: Tesla. Yeah, we love Tesla.
0: So, so he's got, you know, he has the whole quote, I don't need to build a machine to see if it works because I can look at every part and twist right. it and spin dial it and I could break that part and see what else breaks. Like he could do that all in his
2: head. head? yeah it's yeah he builds, so he
0: builds has incredible that. ability to support information in his mind. Now let's just say like you become a you become a thing that the universe uses to support other patterns and then it lets other people live inside you right or live inside that pattern that you're projecting. You're you're using your mental capabilities to hold still something so that other people can benefit from it. Well, that to me sounds like what the universe is. So the hierarchies are spirits that decided to hold still a really intense conception of something, and so that other things could live inside that thing and grow. Gotcha. So when someone says like the crystal world is supported by spirits or beings, it could be that they're they're not as complicated as we are, but they lived a life on a planet just like we did, and they learned how to love just like we were trying to do, and they learned how to hold incredible conceptual schemes in their head just like we can do and they you see what i'm saying yeah so the the natural world is built from elements of other beings that love us and want us to succeed and grow to add to the picture absolutely Um, and then to cap that off there's the question of well if love already exists in the universe, there's this great loving God out there. Well, why do anything else? Like, why would loving God send us out to be suffering on this planet and then just to get back to him? It never made sense to me that there's like this thing ahead of us that we have to get to. It like kicked us back and then we have to get to it.
2: So, but we're all about testing, though, right? I mean, we're all about, we give right. tests, we test other people, we challenge other people. Um, there's a certain element that, and it's inherent in us. It's something I'm sure that's been going on for a long, long time. Um, so that's why I think maybe if we have a piece of God, that's what that is. It's Well, this.
0: I, I think I agree with you. So my conception is a simple, like just a little turn off of that, which is he just Tom Campbell points out that a thing that's a thing that exists has three choices. It can either stay the same, devolve or evolve. So the thing about staying the same is it's very, very hard because the world is Right. But staying the same is hardly an option. Really, what's going to happen eventually is you're going to either evolve or devolve. So those are the two choices is one or the other. And so the choice of love is the choice to continue to evolve. So it's this idea of stability and change. So God, to remain loving, needs to continue to grow, lest it become unloving and devolve. Gotcha. So that necessity to continue to be loving is this necessity to evolve. And so the universe is going to continue to create out of itself in order to maintain a stability towards love and not to fall apart. So it's just, it doesn't have the option to be stagnant. So God cannot be stagnant in that sense, because what would it would die, right? If, if nothing is right. no longer moving, it's just this Like, I don't think we would have an experience if the universe came to this point of stagnation. So it either has to evolve or devolve. And so that's why I think creation will, will continue. And we are here to add to and stabilize love and all that. That's, that's it. Okay.
2: Boom. Boom. End of episode. No, (laughs) that was awesome, man. You, You did a great job explaining all that. Um, you know ending on the love and the light i think is a great way to end this because at the end of the day i think you know you're right i think if we all loved a little bit more and understood each other a little bit more and understood some of these concepts whether what we're saying is realistic or scientifically applicable or whatever you want to say at the end of the day i think these concepts are important because they represent uh, an idealism for something that's good as opposed to individualism of negative i kind of
0: i kind of I kind of want to interrupt you because I, I think that's the main thrust I'd like to give is that if people that identify with spiritual movements or anything, and I, I'm really for the idea of considering all possibilities. So I think someone that doesn't consider aliens, doesn't consider conspiracies, that doesn't consider right. these kind of things they really, they should do all those things. Um, but the, the main message I take away from Steiner is that we can know reality and that we have a very specific function and it's not hokum or who, 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 or all this stuff. Um, reading Steiner's early works, I think, is, is, gives you this scientific, philosophical foundation to build a better world. Um, so that's my main thrust. It's not woo-woo. It's not it, – you don't have to be – you can be as skeptical as you want and read this stuff and be sure. convinced – Um, So that's, that's, that's kind of the thrust I'd like to end or to give this episode um, is that it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's out there. And uh, I I hope, I don't know, Steiner may be important.
2: (laughs) He's very important. Actually, what you said, I think, uh, did you hear about the Mars announcement yesterday? Not that it was so, so interesting. So, you know, there's compounds out there, which I think is interesting. So I think though, that, doesn't change anything you know like that's why i think Rudolf steiner is important too because everything you just explained is not affected by finding life or finding a plant, yeah. or finding an alien or whatever the uh, case uh, yeah um,
0: exactly i mean it can all be it all fits yep
2: awesome well andrew uh, tischer tischler we got to get you back on here um cool. super enlightening awesome ideas awesome concepts we appreciate you ha- you know coming on and spending the last hour and a half with us and uh we got to get you back on here
0: Yeah, I I absolutely appreciate the opportunity. This is really the first uh, opportunity I've had to talk about this in any sort of public forums. I'm super appreciative. I had a lot of fun. You guys are great. I I really do appreciate it. So thank you for giving me this space. And yeah.
2: Awesome, bro. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yep. All right. Talk to you.
2: Peace.